So if you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we are continuing our study through the book of Romans and in many ways the feeling this morning is that we're we're finally here, finally, and I'm not talking about football season, I'm talking about this, this book, this chapter of this book, Romans chapter 8, you know, maybe the greatest chapter ever written. And so we are here and we are going to soak in this morning. And we're just going to talk about one verse this morning. I know that doesn't surprise many of you who are with us. But um, I think Romans 8.1 is a verse that we just need to soak and marinate in. And, and even this morning as, as I preach this sermon, it's, it's not enough time or enough marination. And so I, I, I pray and implore you to... Um, to look at this and to study and to think and to pray and to let this verse and let this chapter just inform who we are and to, to do something in you and to change you. You know, one way to look at this idea of condemnation, um, and it's not a per- there are no perfect analogies or perfect metaphors, but one way to look at this as we're beginning this morning is to look at it as if, you know, maybe condemnation, uh, the, the metaphor being that we're in prison. And so according to that, maybe logic or that way of thinking that those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer imprisoned or in prison. And we've got to understand a few things as we go into this and, and for this to land on us like it's supposed to. And the first thing that we have to understand is that in the economy of God, under the reign and rule of God, there is no false imprisonment. There is no mistaken identity. There is no getting the wrong guy. That we are out from under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in prison. There's also not any unjust imprisonment. I think sometimes we can think of things this way, especially in the Christian life, almost as if, you know, we, we think of it like um, uh, the, the Jews during Nazi Germany times, that, that those folks were put in, in imprisonment camps and horrible things were done to them. Um, and it wasn't anything that they did. It wasn't any fault of their own. This is not true. This is not true under the condemnation of God to you and I. There is no wrongful, unjust imprisonment. Our imprisonment is just and it's deserved. And until we understand that, the glory of this one verse will never sink in and fill our hearts with the joy and awe that it was meant to fill our hearts with. Now, today, a lot of what I am going to be talking about is a problem that I see in the church, and that is, is that um, if we continue the metaphor of imprisonment, is that many of us live, we would be able to say and communicate that we are no longer in prison, that the condemnation that we Uh, justly deserved, that we're not under that anymore, but we live as if we're under that condemnation. 
So the metaphor would look something like this. We, you were released from prison, but you go home and you wear the orange jumpsuit. You call the prison and get them to deliver the whatever kind of prison food, whatever that is, it comes to your house. You, you chain the doors and don't let yourself go out. And so in other words, so many Christians, so many of the time, we live our lives away from this glorious, majestical truth that there is therefore now no condemnation. So, this morning, I hope, and my prayer is for us as a church, that this is a journey. Romans 8 is a journey for us. And the hope and prayer that I have is that as we go through this chapter, and however long it takes us to get through Romans 8, that God will be merciful and His Spirit will work in and on us and that we will be a changed people and a changed congregation on the other side of this chapter. And, and my prayer has been that that would start this morning. So I want to uh, I I do something this morning. I want to read verse 1. And I want you just to... Uh, don't, you don't have to read along with me because what I want you to do is I want you to think and pray as I read this verse. Because what I'm interested in as I read this verse, I'm interested in what happens in your inner dialogue. I'm interested in what happens in your soul as this verse is being read. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now... No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are some, maybe many of you this morning, who can't believe that. I sit across from people in counseling offices all the time. This is one of the verses that I quote the most to people who I believe are Christians. As I tell them, there's no condemnation. And as they confess sin and they talk about the evils in their life and the sin that is that they're fighting and the sin that they're striving against that I, I tell them, look, there's there's no condemnation. And it's so hard, it's so hard sometimes for us to believe this and for us to let this soaked down within us. And that our response is, no, there's no way. And God wants you to be released from that thought process this morning. And one of the reasons that God wants you to be released from that thought process this morning is the power of guilt in your life is very destructive. That two things that guilt will do in your life. One thing that guilt will do in your life is it will paralyze you in your walk with the Lord. It will paralyze you. That if you think and as you feel the guilt and the weight of your sin. If you don't look outside yourself. Then then you begin to feel the condemnation. You begin to feel the weight and the heaviness of it. And you just become paralyzed. And the thought process becomes that God can't possibly use me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I've done. You don't know who I am. 
The other thing that guilt does, which is just as destructive and paralyzing Christians, is that it sets you on this little hamster wheel of doing, 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 in hopes that one day that you can run enough that God will say, okay, okay, you've run enough. You can come off the wheel and enjoy fellowship with me and enjoy a life of Christian service. And brothers and sisters in the Lord, God does not operate in that way. So this text, this text is extremely important. And it's important because as we've been studying over the past month or two, Christians still sin. And so since we still sin, we still struggle with some of these old thought processes like guilt and like shame. And so as we look, there's two things that I want to do today. You know, Romans chapter 8, 1 through 11, ultimately what, what these verses are doing, the goal of these verses are, are telling us the means why, by which the power of sin is broken. And, and we'll have weeks ahead to kind of get into all the ins and outs of that. But the, but the goal of today, but the goal of today is to look at this verse and to look at that there is no condemnation and to see how this truth frees us to be who we were saved to be and who we were meant to be. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. And there's two things we're going to look at. The goal is who takes care of our condemnation. And number two, how can we fight when we feel condemned? How can we fight when we feel condemned? But first, let's look at the text. And I want you to understand just a couple of things here. I want to walk through that and then we'll jump into this. So let's let's look at our text and uh, we're going to we're going to look at some phrases. We're just going to look at three phrases or three words uh, this morning. And the first is the, the very first word. Therefore, there is in, in Greek. That is all one word. And your translations may say it differently. They may it may say then or there is or therefore. And what this is, this is an exclamation of victory. This is Paul coming to this wonderful point of this letter that he makes this wonderful exclamation. Therefore, therefore. And so really what Paul is looking is he's looking at Romans. He started in chapter three as he told us the answer to our sin problem, starting in chapter three, Jesus Christ. And as he works through this letter, he is now proclaiming once more with a final exclamation, there is, therefore, based on something, there is therefore now no condemnation. And we know that what that is based on, it's based on the work of Jesus Christ. If you've been here for a while, when I was preaching in, in Romans chapter 5, I told you that it could have worked like this. Verse chapter six and seven are parentheses. And so Paul could have done this and listen to how it would flow. So in verse in chapter five, verses 20 and 21, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, reigned, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is therefore now no Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But thanks to Paul, 
He didn't just do that. He gave us chapter six and seven. And I want you to recall what we saw in chapter six or seven is in chapter six as Paul was asking. So then do we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he said, may it never be. That's not who you are. If you have died with Christ, in other words, if you have trusted in Christ to take care of your sins on the cross, that's not the end of the story. You have also been raised with him. So something new happens in this union with Christ as you have been risen with him so that you walk in a new way. And in chapter seven, in chapter seven, Paul again talks about our union with Christ and again leans into this problem of of sin indwelling. And in verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Christ. And we get this exclamation in, in Romans 8 1. Therefore, based on all of this, based on all of this truth, therefore, we're making this claim and we're putting our foot down and we're not turning back. The second thing that I want you to see from the text, the second thing I want you to see from the text is, is, is it's, it's then or therefore, but notice the next word there is now no condemnation. And I think this now can be looked at in two ways that I think is important for us to see. The first is, is the one you might be thinking of. There is now no condemnation because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. In the book of Jeremiah and in the book of Ezekiel, the prophets talk about a day when the law is no longer external, but the law will be written on our hearts and that we will be joined to God in some way. And what Paul is saying and what Paul wants the the Jewish part of the audience that was reading this letter to hear is now the Messiah has come. The new age has been inaugurated. And now, now, because of this, on this side of the cross, there is no condemnation. And not only is there no condemnation in the end time, The wrath of God is not on our shoulders any longer. Not only is there no condemnation now, but that this is what we'll get into in the following weeks. But there is a way to walk, not according to the law, but now according to the spirit. Where we can walk and live the Christian life, not under condemnation, but according to the life of the spirit. So in other words, there's no fear in death. Because we have the seal in the end of Romans chapter eight over And over and over again tells us of this promise that our salvation is secure now because of the work on the cross. But now has another meaning. I think that now has another meaning in this text. And I think the other meaning that now has in this text. Christian. Is that right now, in this moment, there is no condemnation hanging over your head. Right now. When you think about it. Paul just got done pinning, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. And he's saying to that man, that wretched man, self 
I, I love the, the song, 10,000 Reasons. The reason why is that we are proclaiming as we sing, we're telling our soul, soul, bless the Lord. And in a very similar way, Paul in Romans, as he is confronting the inward wretched man, what Paul is saying is wretched man, there's no condemnation. Right now, there is no condemnation hanging over you. You right now are not under wrath. And for you, Christian, this morning, I would love for you to allow the Holy Spirit to take whatever wound might be open, whatever shame may be festering, and for you to just allow the Holy Spirit to tell you that right here and right now, there is no condemnation hanging over your head. That's the other aspect of now. The third thing I want you to see in this text. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this no, this this construction here in the original language is a very emphatic no, none. It's this emphatic proclamation. There is no condemnation. And one of the things that we have to understand and brothers and sisters, please, let's get this right in our thinking. That the greatest problem a person faces is condemnation. The greatest problem a person faces is his or her condemnation. If we were to go all the way back to Romans 1, Romans 1 tells us that we are condemned because we have traded the glory of God for something else. Romans 3 tells us, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem is that you and I and everyone who was created on this face of this earth were created for one thing and life only makes sense in one direction. And that is when we are using our lives to glorify God, our creator. That's the only place that life makes sense. And the problem is, is that we have spit in the face of God and we have shaken our fist in him by trading his glory or by falling short of that glory. And this leads to two major problems. And one is that we are not what we were created to be. And so man without Christ, man, woman, not in Christ, there is a problem. And we all recognize this problem, right? Can you think back into the time when you weren't a Christian? And I think it's a universal problem of we know that there's this desire in us that is unfulfilled. What we don't know on that side of the cross is that that desire is an unquenchable desire. An unquenchable desire for for some kind of inner peace or for some kind of meaning in life. And it exists in the heart of every human being since the fall. And so men strive. We work. We pour ourselves into things we obtain we look at power money friends love but innately we know that these things are empty these things don't bring a solution 
any solution that that man tries to bring to fulfill this deep, unquenchable longing. Is futile if it's not if it's not in the cross. So. Any attempt that we make or that man makes to overcome this condemnation themselves always, always ends up empty. Always. So one problem with condemnation is that it, it, it separates us from God. We're not who we're made to be. And the second problem, two ma- second major problem with condemnation is that because we're not who we're made to be, that we're under the just condemnation. We are under God's wrath. Not only no peace, not only no meaning, but we are facing the wrath of God. Outside of Christ, outside of Christ, we stand alone, condemned before an almighty, almighty, just God. And that is a horrible place to be. And so our heart sings with thanks be to God that in Christ there is no condemnation. So that faith in Christ, we believe that what I could not bear, what I could not do, bearing my own condemnation, my own guilt, that Christ did. And this is why this gospel is so sweet to us. This is why this gospel message of Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. So, the who, I told you we were going to talk about a who and a how. <laughs> the who, as you can see, is going through these verses. The who that gets us out from under this condemnation is Jesus Christ. That's the last phrase. For those who are in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He took my place. He bore my wrath. He took on my guilt. And Jesus did it. And so what that means is that if, brother and sister, if you had placed your trust, if you have put your faith in Jesus, it means that you are eternally His. And we've got these wonderful, wonderful verses uh, that highlight this in Romans chapter 8. So think about this as far as hear the flavor of condemnation here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what we see, what we see is that in Christ, we are not condemned. That we have been eternally, eternally positioned from the family of Adam to the family of Christ. You know, another way to look at this, another word we've been throwing around in the book of Romans that has been not thrown around, that has been brought to us. Is that the opposite of being condemned is being justified. The opposite of being condemned is being justified. 
So we know that Jesus Christ does that. So the next thing and what I want to spend a bulk of our time on this morning. And we could really spend weeks on this and these things will crop back up is. So let's say that you're here this morning, you're a believer. You have placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ and that you understand that eternally and ultimately that there is no condemnation, that when you stand before the throne of God and he asks you if this question is asked, why should I let you into my heaven? That you know the answer is you shouldn't. But because of the grace of of your great grace and your great mercy and what your son did on the cross, he took my sins. Let's say that you got all that and you're there. What I now want to help you with is the how, how to fight, how to fight the Christian life until glory. And and this is so important. This is so important because we can know in our brains that there is no condemnation. But the problem is, is that because we still sin, we still wrestle with guilt and we still wrestle with shame. And the enemy, the enemy tries to creep in and to use these as a tool to get us off course. And so it's so vitally important this morning that we understand how to use this verse to fight. And so I want to just give you just a couple of things this morning. And this is not exhaustive, but I want to give you a couple of things this morning of how to fight based on what we've already said. And the first thing is this. This is vitally important. Christians, you have to know the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the evil one. You have to know the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the evil one. And I want to give you just a short list of some of the ways in my life that the evil one speaks to me. And so we've got to set this up because this is experience we all have. And so let's say that I have got guilt in my life, meaning I do have guilt in my life this morning, right now. So so let's say that that I am. uh, Let's say that uh, this morning that on the way to church, I yelled at my kids. And I sinned. One of the things that plagues me as a father. This is one of the things that happens to me all the time is that this 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 sort of guilt as a father will pop up in me all the time. And so what happens then is that then then there's this voice of this guilt. And at this point. There's no distinguishing between the voices because it's right, there is guilt there, I have done this. But what happens next is vitally important. The voice of the enemy will say things like this. Yeah, Lewis, you've really blown it. You know, you've been praying about how you're going to speak to your kids over and over and over again. And, you know, you are just awful. You just can't get a grip. You just keep doing this. And so what happens is I start listening to that voice and it starts playing in my head. And then all of a sudden, you know what that leads to? It leads to me being paralyzed. 
Because I walk away from this scenario thinking what a horrible, awful, wretched person I am. And that's where my focus is. And it goes no further. So Satan wins. That's not always the way that I handle that. Other times, I feel guilty because maybe the way that I have spoken with my children. And so I say, you know, I must do better. And I've heard about this book that gives me five steps to being a really good father. So I'm going to grab those steps and I'm just going to do, 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 do. And you know, if God sees me doing these things, he's going to release me from this guilt because I'm going to prove that I can be a better father. That's the hamster wheel. And the problem is, is that if I really think about it, even in the doing and the striving, I can feel guilty. It doesn't release it. In fact, many times it makes it worse. The other one that I think that we do is, so we have the guilt of being mean to our children, of not responding properly, or me, Lewis, not responding properly to how I should to my boys. And so that guilt comes in and I say, oh, but, but wait a minute, God, you know, yesterday I witnessed to two people yesterday. And so I'm not that bad. And so it kind of balances out. You know, everybody's mean to their children every now and then. It's okay. I mean, goodness, you know, I, Gary's way meaner to his kids than I am. So what happens in each of these scenarios is that we're not hearing the voice of the Lord. Do you understand that, brother and sister? The voice of the Lord does not tell us any of those things. To be sure, to be sure, the Holy Spirit, when we have sinned, convicts of sin. To be sure, the voice of the Lord convicts us of sin. But the voice of the Lord does not go there. And if you noticed all of those things that I talked about, the focus was on me fixing my problem. Me, 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 me. And any voice, any voice after we have recognized our guilt that brings it back to me or something that I can do or something that I can't do. Sends us off course. So you should say, well, Lewis, well, how do you handle that? How should we handle this? And I'll tell you, this is the glorious way. And this is where this verse, I use this verse all the time in my personal life. And so it goes something like this. And you've heard me say this. And this is I just want to lay it out before you again. Is that the guilt comes. I've spoken to my children harshly. And I feel the guilt and the weight of that sin. And I admit, yes, I am a sinner. And then I quote this verse. There's no condemnation. Christ paid for that sin. Lewis, you can't bear the weight or do anything with that sin. Christ did it. And so what that does, it doesn't mean that that sends us into this thing of so guilt free laying on the couch. 
what it does is it frees us from the power. Frees us from the power of that condemnation and that guilt. It allows us to rejoice in the fact that we serve a God who, though over and over again, I mess up and I fall short, that he has forgiven me. And that leads to joy, which leads to me being able to go and to grab my child and to say, I'm sorry. Your dad messed up. Your dad's not perfect. And that's not an excuse. I'm telling you that, son, because we serve a God who is and he has forgiven me. And I want you to forgive me as well. And so then that relationship with my boys or my daughter is not one where I'm trying to earn back favor or earn anything from God. It, it restores that relationship. You know, one of the things that I think in um, non-charismatic circles that uh, we may not think about enough is the fact that we are in a war that's not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. And I think the main place that we're at war is within ourself. And one of the things that I think some of our brothers and sisters who may have a more Pentecostal persuasion have it right is that there are times in that, that we need to be emphatically rejecting voices that come into our life. That when that voice comes into your life, that when you compare it with Scripture is not godly, is putting you on a path of that you can handle this condemnation or, or that you know this is going to hang over your head forever or whatever, that... We need to, as Christians, say no. There is no condemnation for me. There is no condemnation for me. Okay, we could talk about that one forever. But I want to get on to a couple more. So you must be able to distinguish between the voices that are going on. The other thing is that you must know the difference between shame and guilt. Now, I'm... A lot of people write on this and a lot of people say this and that. So I just just bear with me for a minute. OK, I am making a distinction between shame and guilt and hear what I'm saying. What I mean by that when I say this and, and you don't have to use my language, you could use other words and it fits just fine. But what I mean by this is, is this. You and I, even as believers, still sin, right? So that there is still guilt that is there and the Holy Spirit one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to, to bring that guilt to our attention so that we can deal with it in a godly way, right? So that we're never going to be free this side of heaven. We're never going to be free of guilt. And guilt is godly and it is good if we handle it in the right way. But there is this thing within our soul that we do that I'm calling shame. And that is, is when the guilt or when the condemnation, when we own it and it becomes who we are, it defines us. And so one of uh, I'll get a little on a soapbox here. One of the problems I have sometimes with the, uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous or NA, is if you ever go to a meeting and, and there are great, wonderful benefits of that. And I'm not knocking it. It's helped a lot of people. But one of the things is you stand up and you know what you, you've probably never been. Well, you, maybe you have. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but we've all heard it in, in things. You stand up and you say, you know, hey, I'm Lewis. I'm an alcoholic. 
And one of the things that churns in me as a Christian is that I, when people come into my office who are believers and they tell me that, I say, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. If you're in Christ, that's not who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. You're a new creature. You are a sinner saved by grace. Now take the my example out of it for a minute. And we all do that, right? We all have things in our life that we haven't taken care of. And so there's shame there. And we've allowed that to define us. And we define ourselves in our deepest, darkest part as this is who I am. Sometimes it's, it's, it's things that other people have said about us in our past. Some of it's things that our parents may have done or said to us in the way that we were brought up. One of the saddest things I've ever seen a long, long time ago in another place, so I can use the story, is there was a man whose um, dad and siblings, and therefore all the neighborhood kids, called him stupid. And he told me right at the outset when he came to see me, is, Lewis, look, um, just don't use that word in front of me. And through our time together, in witnessing to him, I wanted him to know that that's not who you are. That doesn't define you. So, Lewis, I'm dyslexic. Well, that doesn't define you either. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that those things that maybe that are in our lives that are shaming us, and what I'm meaning by that are defining us, that we've got to handle those differently. And you want to say, Lewis, how do you do that? And I'm glad you asked. And Paul does this over and over. But let me just give you one example of how Paul handles this in 1 Timothy 15 through 17. 1. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. It is a trustworthy statement, statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And look at this. Among whom I am the foremost of all. And so you could say, well, Lewis, see, there it is. That's Paul calling himself chief of sinners. That's him taking this shame on. But notice Paul doesn't stop there and he never does in his inspired writings. Look at what he says next. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. So that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. As an example of those who would believe in him to eternal life. So think about it this way. Think about if you looked at those things that that you defined yourself with, those shameful, dark things, and you had this attitude, you had this attitude about yourself, that God, that God, notice these words, found mercy. And in His perfect patience, in His perfect patience, wants to use the overcoming of this for His glory. We won't go too much into that because that can get pretty scary for some of you. But I want you to see how Paul does this. And so one of the things that I'll have people do practically here is that I'll have people take a piece of paper. Draw a line and on one side, they put all those shameful things, those messages. I'm this. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm this. I'm this. I'm this. I'm this. And I have them draw a line and on the other side. 
I make them write out what the Bible says about them. So that this is a concrete way of battling this. Lastly, let me make sure I'm saying that. Lastly, and again, there could be many more. Lastly, in fighting this and realizing the depths of what it means to not be under the condemnation. Is that we have to know the difference between consequences of our sin and condemnation from God. We have to know the difference. Between consequences of our sin. And condemnation from God. In other words, are we going to believe this verse or are we not? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Christ Jesus. And some of you this morning, if you could pull me aside, would give me a list of the consequences of your sin and tell me, therefore, you are under the condemnation of God because there are consequences in your life that have not gone away, even though you are claiming this verse and putting your faith in Christ. I can't tell you the number of people that I have known that have um, uh, maybe gone to prison for something that they have done and they get saved in prison and to their much amazement that their 35 year sentence does not reduce to 10 days. And they're praying hard. And they would say, God just must not love me. This no condemnation thing doesn't mean me and brother and sister. The problem is, is the way that you're defining condemnation. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation. And so you may say, Lewis, so what in the world's happening here? And I am so thankful again that you ask these type of questions. And let me just tell you from Romans 8. Let me just give you a couple of verses. Look at Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So one of the things that we're going to see as we study the book of Romans is that this whole idea of of being in Christ and being alive to God means that you have a future security that's way better than anything that could happen to you in this on this earth. Look at verse 28, and this is coming to a point here, and we know that God causes All things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, very tricky here in the language. All things means all things. The consequences of my sinful actions are not an exception to the all things here in Romans chapter 8. That God is using those consequences for our good. Then in verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And by highlighting this, by highlighting this, what I'm wanting you to see is that that proclamation of no condemnation is sure and it is there and it is powerful no matter what consequences you're facing in your life. And the power that the gospel has in our life is that we can look at the consequences of our sins 
in the hands of God for our good, for His glory, even though you don't see where it's taking you. The voice that tells you that your consequences mean that you're condemned is the voice of the evil one that wants to keep you from seeing the joy and the wonderful presence of the Lord in the midst of hard times. So. To end. (laughs) There is another sober reality here. And, and, And we can't miss the other sober reality that's just here. We have just spent however much time discussing how in the life of a believer there's no condemnation. And we've just spent a lot of time talking about how we can fight that force, the evil force that tries to drag us back into that, which would paralyze us or get us running in this direction that is that is that is wrong and makes us ineffective and not bearing fruit for God. But there's another sober reality that we can't leave here without realizing. And that sober reality is this. For those who have never put their faith and hope in Christ, there is condemnation. And so as we leave here, my prayer is that we leave here encouraged, we leave here in awe, we leave here joyful over the fact that if you have put your faith in Christ, that there is no condemnation and that your life has meaning, you've been united with God, and that your eternal security is secure. I know that's bad English, but that's what I'm saying. And then on the other half, the other side, that we become burdened. Burdened for our neighbor. Burdened for people halfway across the world. I was thinking and praying for the Hattons this morning. It's Micah's birthday. And I was just thinking back of my time in India, and it's just a, a weird sensation to be in a place where there, you may not run into another believer. So I hope that provides a sense of urgency for us. So we're not done. We're not done. Um, I wanted to and was not able to get into this morning. And so maybe in the weeks ahead, one of the places that I would like for us to go and I would like for you to be thinking about is. One of the visions for the church is that we are a no condemnation community. Not meaning by that that we excuse sin. Some of you got excited. Woohoo! That's not what we're meaning by that. What we are meaning by that is that we are a people who recognize and handle our sin the right way and that we do that with others so that this is a community, this is a fellowship that is constantly helping people fight that fight so that when you have a brother or sister in the Lord that you see that is on the hamster wheel, you try to put a stick in it. Or when you have a brother or sister in the Lord that comes and they're downtrodden and they're letting their sin define them, that you allow God to let you speak these words of truth to them.
There's no condemnation. That's not coming from the Lord. So, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a great song about our great God. And then we're going to enjoy the rest of our day. Heavenly Father. How wonderful. How merciful. How gracious are you. That you would send your son. And that you would put my sin on him. And that God that. You take someone like me. Who's just condemned. And standing all alone under that condemnation. And you provide a way. A way outside of me. A way that's not dependent upon me. A way that I can't mess up. And you do that by sending your son Jesus. And God I would pray Lord that if there was anyone here. And God, maybe as I was talking about the striving, maybe as I was talking about um, no meaning, no peace. That God, maybe for the first time, your spirit would awaken them to this beautiful gift. That Jesus took our sin. God, I pray that. Lord, if there is one or many here this morning, that that's the situation they're in, that, Lord, that they would even today put their faith and trust in you. Lord, for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would turn us into fighters. God, I pray that we would fight and that we would fight with this word, this verse, that when the enemy raises up against us and when the enemy is whispering in our ear guilt and shame, that we stand up and say, I am guilty, but there is no condemnation for me. Because of the blood of Christ Jesus. God help us become relentless. In this fight. This fight is only because your son Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.